Welcome to the Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net where we bring you investment strategies you're not hearing elsewhere. Thank you very much for joining us today. Today is September 16, 2016. I'm Charlie Wright. We're very pleased to welcome for the very first time David Scranton, author of Return on Principle, founder and president of Sound Income Strategies, an RIA firm focused on fixed income investing. He speaks to us from their New York office. David, welcome. Welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Hey, Charlie. Good to, good to catch you on the phone. Good to be here. So, David, this is your second book, and you have, as we mentioned, an RIA firm. Uh, you have offices in New York and in Florida, and you have your own television show on Newsba- Newsmax TV. So give us a little uh, brief background of yours, will you? Basically, I started off, like most people do 30 years ago, as a more generic financial advisor. And, you know, doing a little bit of everything, trying to be all things to all people. And what happened was I found that in the late 90s, I started to get really concerned about the stock market. And I knew from my studies of stock market history that we're due for a significant drop and that when that happened, it was probably going to be a long time before the markets really got better. So what I did in the late 90s as an advisor is I actually changed my business model. And I became the person who specializes in non-stock market income-generating options. Thus, you know, sound income strategies and the fixed income market. Now, when you say options, uh, we're all about alternative investments on this show. So are you talking about uh, alternative uh, methods of investing, or are you talking about stock options such as uh, puts and calls? Um, I I guess I probably could have used the word alternatives to be more accurate than (laughs) options, though I'm not talking about puts and calls. (laughs) Okay, okay. So you focus on uh, on yield investments, and so you are a brave man because (laughs) I don't know what rocks you can look under today to find uh, strong yielding investments. So uh, tell us first, why did you write your book? Well, it's kind of interesting because you said that Return on Principle was my second book. Well, it is and it isn't. It's actually my third book in a way because we wrote this manuscript. We didn't give it a title. We wrote a manuscript, and it was a basically a, a, an update to my first book about the markets and the economy and what I saw. And I just wasn't feeling it. You know, I wasn't passionate about it. So I tore up the script. Nobody, nobody's ever seen it. And I started from scratch. And with this book, Return on Principle, what we've done is something totally different. We've decided that... There are enough books out there that are how-to books that talk about what I call the outside of the external game, that give investors algorithms for when to buy and when to sell, or talk about how you should be allocated for various goals. But what I realized is that there really weren't any books out there that talk about the inside game to help people determine if they have the right internal mindset to be a good investor, or to determine if their advisor has the right internal mindset to be a good advisor. And... That's why we launched the book. Uh, once we tore up the first script and started all over again, and, and the funny thing is that you know, talk about being in the right place at the right time. You never know when you first launch a book. You think, gosh, you know, by the time we start writing it to the launch date, it could be a year or two. And what's a good idea then? You never know if it's still going to be timely on the launch date. Well, I think we were fortuitous because our first launch date was on 
Tuesday, uh, the 13th of September. And really, in that first day, we actually became an Amazon best-selling book. And in, in, in next day, we actually became an Amazon best-selling book in another category. So I, I think people are at a point now where they're starting to feel as though the markets don't make sense where they are. Uh, things don't feel quite right in the economy, in the stock market, and they're looking for alternatives. And they're looking to see whether their advisor truly has the right internal mindset to do the right things when the going gets tough. Okay, well, congratulations for being focused on a very, very uh, important and yet very challenging uh uh, space in the financial marketplace because generating yield with the 10-year uh, yield at about a dollar uh, 1.65% right now and the 30-year at about 2%, it's a very challenging place to be able to, uh, to yeah. generate returns, but especially to generate yield. So in regards most to your book... Don't realize, though, yeah, I'll go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say, most people don't realize, though, because you asked me this before and I apologize, actually didn't answer your question, but a lot of people don't realize is that you can get a 4 to 5% yield even today without the risk of the stock market. Um, you know, and, and, and so it's challenging, but it's doable. That's, that's the message I'd like to send to people. Okay. Okay. Well, we appreciate that. And and again, it is challenging. There is some risk involved, but you're right in terms of uh, direct response or beta with the stock market. It is not there, and uh, hopefully that that continues. So, what are the major points of your book that you would like people to get here? Well, and you know, it's interesting. The major points all came from my guests on the show that you mentioned earlier, the income generation. And, and that was when I started really interviewing multi-multi-millionaires and billionaires on the show, I started to realize that the difference between those that were successful as investors versus those that weren't, as well as the difference between those that were successful as advisors versus those that weren't, had to do with those internal characteristics, not so much the external algorithms. And that was about the time that I tore up that first manuscript and said, I want to start from scratch. I, I have something much more important to write about. So what we've determined is that there are really seven major core values, as we call them, that help differentiate that, that not-so-good financial advisor from the very, very strong financial advisor. The first is overprotection. Uh, you, you know the rule that if you lose 50%, you have to make 100% to get back to break even. Yep. And We've all found that out. Is that, is that we, we all have, that's right, especially since the turn of the century, right? Right. It's funny because the people, most people today that are really investing today, face, let's face it, they started their investing in the 80s and 90s, the, the, the best stock market in U.S. history. Right. So as a result, their paradigm for investing quickly became, you know, it's all about the stock market. Yeah, right. So we have, and, and I think this is why you specialize in alternative things also, is because we have a generation of investors who look at what I call the bookends of investing. They look at the stock market on the risky end, and then, and then they look at bank CDs on the conservative end, and they lose sight of the fact that there's a whole universe of alternatives between the bookends. 
Yeah, in, in fact, uh, I, I talk uh, almost every day to uh, people in the industry who still go by the 60-40 split uh, allocation, 60% stocks, 40% bonds. And they may have a variation of that depending on somebody's propensity for risk or age, but that's basically what they look at. And I want to tell them, this is 2016, pal, wake up here. And so that, that's what you're recognizing, and, and you're, you, that's what, uh, one of the messages I presume you're trying to get across to your audience. Absolutely. The old rules of investing don't work anymore. You have, to, you have to wipe them right off the table, and we have to go back to basics. And what we do in the fixed income world is just that. Go back to the types of instruments that retirees and pre-retirees focused on for decades and decades and decades before the 1980s. You know, in the 80s and 90s, people got in this bad habit where, gee, I can own a mutual fund. I could take a withdrawal, you know, sell some principal, and it's okay if I take principal because the next year I'll earn it back. Yeah, the 4% rule. That's right. And, and perhaps yeah. that worked during the 80s and 90s, right. but clearly, as you know, it hasn't worked so well since the turn of the century, right? Not, not at all. Not at all. Okay, but unfortunately, people have short-term memories, right, David? And so they say, this is 2016, we've had uh, bull years years since March of uh, 2009, and even when the last couple of years that everybody's been predicting, uh, you know, bad news, it hasn't been all that bad, and even this year has has been fairly good. And so I presume you you face the same challenges that most people face in this industry, that people have these short memories, and they... uh, uh, you know, are just not willing to look at other alternatives, uh, such as the kind of income generating strategies that you offer when they think the stock market's going to continue to grow at double digits, right? That's absolutely correct. And, you know, think about it. United States of America, we, we really have more to be optimistic about than most other places in the world. So we are an optimistic bunch. And as a result, you know, people want to think that the market's going to keep going up and keep going up. But we, we talk about these long-term secular bear market cycles that have existed throughout history, and there have been many that have been more than 20 years long. And I like to ask people, I like to say, you know, do you think there were some people that would stay put in one of these long-term secular stock market cycles over time, bear markets, that is, with a lot of volatility but zero growth for 20 years? Do you think there are some investors that stay put? And, of course, the answer everybody says is yes. And I said, well, who do you think they were that state put, the pessimists or the optimists who always thought that recovery was right around the corner? And as soon as I ask the question, I get dead silence, and people start to discover on their own that sometimes optimism can work against them. As good of a quality as optimism could be in a life for the human spirit, it can work against you when it comes to your money. Yeah, you know, as we all know, 1966, top of the market was not exceeded until 1982. So that was 16 solid years without any growth at all in equities. I was just going to say to add to that, Jack Bogle, the founder of Vanguard, has said for about the past year that we are looking at the next 10 years of investing with marginal, if any, increases in the stock market. And he's a buy-only index, uh, you know, equities guy. He's not an alternative investment guy, and he admits that today. Oh, I, I agree completely. So, so it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, 1966-82 was actually the shortest secular bear market we've ever had in history. And, you know, it's great. We use that as an example. The evidence says that if 
2013 was when we broke above the peak levels before the tech bubble burst in 2000. So some people say, well, this time the secular bear market ended after only 13 years. Uh, and this is the shortest in history. This is even shorter than 66 to 82. But what they don't realize is that's not the only world record regarding the stock market that would be broken if we did not have another major drop of 30% or more in the future. Because there's another world record, and that is that every long-term secular bear market, like 66 to 82, has had three or more major drops inside of it. And as you know, this one, since the turn of the century, has only had two major drops. Right. You also know that, that every secular bear market we've had has not really ended until price-to-earnings ratios end up in the single digits. And that hasn't happened this time either. So if we don't have a, a drop of at least 30% in the common stock market from where we are today, we'd literally be, be breaking three world records regarding the stock market. And that's why my number one, my number one value of the seven is financial overprotection. And it makes sense when you think about it that way. Well, especially uh, during the, the the current time here of uh, September 2016. And by the way, congratulations on uh, your book, Doing So Well, uh, just out three days ago and already hit the bestseller list for Amazon. Uh, congratulations. That shows that uh, there is certainly a consumer and an investor appetite for this kind of thing. So hold your thought right there. We'll, we need to take a short break, David. Again, we're talking with David Scranton, author of Return on Principle. With, has his own Newsmax TV show and has an RIA firm. He speaks to us from their offices in New York. And uh, this is Charlie Wright on Strategic Investor Radio, and we'll be right back. According to the consulting firm Strategic Capital Allocation Group, every decade since 1900 has experienced at least one bear market, and several have experienced as many as three. So how do we protect our principal from these declines without missing the gains when prices rise? At Strategic Investor Radio, we interview asset managers with unique strategies designed to both protect and grow your investments. Investing is not rocket science. It's rocket fuel if you know how to harness it. For podcasts of our interviews, please visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. And now back to Charlie and his guest. Thank you, Paul. Again, we're talking with David Scranton, author of Return on Principle. So, David, uh, you've told us about your uh, principle number one, financial overprotection, that you talk about in your book. Uh, tell us about another principle, will you? And, and I know I need to pick up the pace for you, because as much as I could talk to you all day, I know you're on time constraints <laughs> on the radio here. So, uh, <laughs> principles two and three are kind of similar they're tied together, although there, there are distinct separations. I'll talk to them right now together. It's detail orientation and diligence. What a lot of investors do is they'll buy a fund based upon a five-star rating, or they'll buy a stock because the analyst report says buy instead of hold or sell. And they don't look any deeper than that. Well, the message I try to explain to people in the book is that is not enough research to make good, sound investment decisions. But what's scarier than that, what a lot of people don't realize, is that's how a lot of investment advisors also make decisions. They take those same superficial superficial reports, 
and they use those to make buy recommendations to clients. And the questions we have in the book are designed for that investor to go back to his or her advisor and, and find out whether that advisor really truly does deeper research or just the superficial research. Okay. And uh, no question about it, um, people who are relationship managers, uh, they have limited time to do research and often rely on sub-advisors and the like. Now, you guys act as sub-advisors, I presume, in, on the, the fixed income side is for other advisors. Is that correct? Yes, we do. We, we actually we do the, the money management. We do individual securities. We manage all individual securities, so it's not funds. And we are in charge of the management. We do our own research. We don't just look at these third-party analyst reports. We're literally doing our own research. And... When we're buying fixed income securities, we're actually going right to institutions and negotiating prices. We're not just taking the price that the average investor gets in the market. We're making sure we get the best price out there. You know, last week, David, we we interviewed uh, Eric Lutton, uh, your chief investment officer uh, for the show, had an excellent interview. And uh, got into the more of the tall weeds of what the specific kinds of investing uh, for sound income that uh, that you guys do. So we won't get into that on this show. But uh, anyone interested in that, they can look on our website and look at uh, a couple of shows before yours, and they can and they can listen to our interview with Eric and have a better understand of specifically how you guys. Uh, how you guys invest and what you invest in. So uh, so tell us how things are going, because I would think the world would be flocking to your door because Europe has negative interest rates right now, and there are lots of, uh, especially European uh, hedge funds and other companies that are investing in those negative interest rates. The United States are not negative yet, and yet uh, they may well be in the, the somewhat near future, and they're very, very low right now. And if you're talking about returns that are, you know, as you mentioned, 4 or 5%, then that's significantly higher than most bond managers are able to generate these days. So I would presume people would be flocking to your door. Well, they are. And I think that's why they're flocking to the book Return on Principle also, because, you know, it's a whole paradigm shift as opposed to the 80s and 90s mentality of of investing for growth, you know, crossing your fingers and toes, hoping something appreciates in value. People are now looking at it and saying, you know, it's really more about income, and, and they're starting to realize, and as we help to inform them, even that's why the name of our television show is called The Income Generation, we help to inform them that there's another way to go about investing, and that's investing for income, not necessarily growth. And when people realize that in a lot of fixed income instruments, their income is literally fixed, that's why it's called fixed income, right, that even if their account values go up or down a little bit, it really doesn't matter because their income stays fixed. And, you know, we were talking about the seven core values, and, and I got through three. I'd like to share two more with you, but combine them again for the sake of time because I know, uh, <clears throat> you know, the, the, the radio uh, network won't, won't let you go on for hours and hours. But, you know, I think the reason, too, why this is so popular is because Two other core values I talk about in the book I'm going to combine are, are kind of brothers to each other, and one is coachability and the other is leadership. 
um, you know, do you, do you, are you coachable enough when, when faced with evidence that maybe something you long believed in in the financial world, maybe an old principle that you just really thought from your heart was correct, and now you're faced with external evidence that it may be incorrect, you have to change your belief. Are you coachable enough? Are you flexible enough to make that change? Uh, much like we did in the late 1990s, changing from our stock market model to the fixed income model. In, in leadership, are you enough of a leader where you're willing to take that path less traveled? You know, if everyone's going down one road, but you see the wisdom to going to another road, do you have the comfort to do that? Because what most people don't realize is that a lot of advisors don't have the confidence to do that as you do, as I do. You know, you focusing on alternatives, myself focusing on fixed income. You know, mutual funds, I believe, have been some of the, you know, really the, the biggest addiction that our investors have seen over the last 35 years in the United States of America. And, you know, having the coachability to, to realize that, you know, those may not suit you moving forward, and then having the leadership qualities and the confidence to take the road less traveled when 90% of all financial advisors are still out there pushing mutual funds. David, would you do me a favor? Would you take those two chapters and send them to the central banks of the world? Because they need to recognize that they are not all-knowing and that their models are flawed and that they're the path they have been leading us down for the past uh, eight years is not the path we need to continue going down. And they need to have some humility here in recognizing that. That's right. Well, unfortunately, you know, the the mandate of the Federal Reserve, the central banks, as you know, is to control the strength of the currency, i.e. inflation, and to have a healthy financial and banking system. Well, unfortunately, the central banks, even even ours, seems to think now that there's a third unspoken mandate, and that's to make sure we have a healthy stock market. Well, you know, I've I've got news for you. You you. You can give someone caffeine throughout the day, more and more caffeine, but eventually that caffeine is going to lose its effectiveness. I love that. I, I love that uh, the metaphor here. That is excellent. I'm going to use that uh, throughout the next week here. That was there very go, good, Mike. David. Thank you, Charlie. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, question we like to ask all of our guests, David. What keeps you awake at night? What keeps me awake at night is the United States defaulting on its debt. You know, I had uh, Dick Morris as a guest on my show. And he told me a statistic that I was shocked by. Uh, he said nearly eight years ago, there were 107 million people working full-time, contributing to the system, and 70 million that were on some kind of social benefits, welfare, and the like. As of today, he said there are 114 million contributing to the system, so that working full-time, so that's, that's going up a little. But now there are 107 million on some kind of social programs. That's going up by 50%. And my big concern is that when that flips over, when that flips over the 50% mark, where there are more people pulling from the system than contributing toward it, then that's exactly what happened with Greece and countries like Greece. When all of a sudden the voters start to vote their own wallet, and then eventually the country defaults on its debt. And that's why every great country has in time defaulted on its debt. So I'm just hoping and praying that that we get our own financial house in order in the great United States of America. So, and that's what keeps me awake at night, in a nutshell. 
<laughs> well, D- David, it should. You know, we've heard for some time how low the employment participation rate is, that it's lower than it was yeah. many decades ago. And uh, that, that's part and parcel of what you're talking about there. So, so thank you for bringing Absolutely. that up. The, the other question we'd like to ask all of our guests is, tell, well, we like to ask them about their books. Tell us about your other book. Well, our other book, it's, it's interesting. Some of the things of my, my first book uh, are wrapped into the new one, Return on Principle. But my first book was really shorter. It was all financial. It was designed to educate people about the secular market cycles and to let them know that there are income-based alternatives to the stock market and to mutual funds. And, and also, to answer the question why, to let people know why most advisors don't talk about these secular cycles and how they tend to repeat in a very predictable fashion throughout history. So with the new book, Return on Principle, we've taken that, but we've, we've realized through, again, my interviews with multimillionaires and billionaires on the income generation television show, I've realized that... that I'm treating the symptom, not the problem. The real problem is fixing how people think about money, getting them to have the right internal mindset. And once somebody determines they have the inside game, then the rest of it becomes simple. The problem, unfortunately, is that I would say that only about 15%, 1-5% of the population really truly possesses the internal game to be a truly good investor. Just like just like on television, Dr. House. You know, maybe only 15% of doctors have that, that instinct that Dr. House has. So it shouldn't surprise us that financial advisors are really no different. Many of them got lured into the business for various reasons, but they don't necessarily have the inside game master. And I encourage people to make sure they look for and they work with advisors that have that inside game, because when you have that, the rest of it, the rest of it tends to take care of itself. So, Davis, give us your website, will you? Well, the website for the book is www.returnonprinciple.com. That's returnonprinciple.com. Okay. And for your firm? And the firm? Uh, soundincomestrategies.com. We, we believe in nice, short domain names, as you can okay. see. <laughs> the way to go. So, David, give us final words for our listeners here. Final words for our listeners are, are, are simple. To, to really... Please, please, please do not bury your head in the sand right now with what's going on in the economy and the financial markets. There's always calm before the storm. And things up until last, you know, really Friday, just about a week or two ago, were really, really calm. And just recently, the volatility has come back in the market. And I believe that very well could be the calm before the storm. At the end of the day, we've had a whole bunch of negative earnings quarters in the stock market, five going on six. We seem to be getting... 1% 1% or less growth in the country. None of those things are things which would justify the market being at a record high. So when you know the market's at a record high because the unprecedented levels of worldwide government stimulus, it's important not to bury your head in the sand. It's important to stand up, pay attention, and realize that the rules that got you to this point aren't going to get you through the next five or ten years. David, very well stated. Thank you very much for stating that. And David, thank you very much for writing the book. Again, congratulations on the book's success. And uh, thanks for joining us on Strategic Investor Radio today. Charlie, my pleasure. Thank you so much. So again, we've been talking with David Scranton, author of Return on Principle, founder and president of Sound Income Strategies out of New York, and uh, has his own show on Newsmax TV called The Income Generation Show. Thank you for joining us on Strategic Investor Radio today. I'm Charlie Wright, wishing you all an enjoyable week and productive investing.
You've been listening to The Strategic Investor, your source for compelling investment strategies from some of the most productive asset managers in the industry. For unique investment strategies, visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. Investing is not rocket science.